AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks in the future and says, tried to be a robot king and settled for a robot boy. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkebaum, and our other co-host, Joe McCormick, is not with us today. He's perfectly fine. He's on an excellent vacation and yes. will be back with us soon. But perhaps even on a uh, on a on a bogus journey. Thinking of the whole Bill and Ted thing. I I, ca- I caught it. Yeah. I caught it. Uh, <laughs> so today we're talking about robots. <laughs> Yes, we are. I'm sorry, that was so awkward. Uh, no, I, was, <laughs> I, I inject awkwardness wherever I go. Oh, me too. It's one of the things that I really pride myself on. Um, one of the things that robots pride their, themselves on is uh, being in affiliation with DARPA. <laughs> 
Yeah, or at least DARPA is, prides themselves on their affiliation with robots. Uh, one way or another, yes. Uh, w- w- so we've done a bunch of episodes about DARPA yep. and their connections to robots sure. in the past. Um, I, I mean, we mentioned them all the time, but mm-hmm. uh, just this May in 2015, we did a whole episode about how the organization works and some of the projects that they're sponsoring right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that, that one was called... What's up with DARPA? If you would <laughs> yeah. like to check it out. And back in November of 2013, we did an episode about one of their other robot challenges, the Grand Challenge, which mm-hmm. is an autonomous car uh, obstacle course sort of thing. Yeah. And that one's called Robot, You Can Drive My Car. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and we'll talk more a little bit about the the Grand Challenge toward the end to kind of tie in what the more uh, recent DARPA challenge was all about because as of the recording of this podcast, we're recording it on June 9th. It's just after the most recent DARPA challenge finals have concluded. Uh, yes, the, I mean, DARPA, of course, being the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Mm-hmm. I am never going to get used to saying that out loud. It's so horrible. That's why we go with DARPA. Yes, DARPA's Robotics Challenge. Or the Robo-Olympics, as my friend Laszlo has called it. That's a fitting term. It is. Because they have to do so much. They do, they do. It's like a decathlon. Well, I guess it would be an octathlon. Octathlon. Because it's eight tasks. For for walking robots. Yeah. That are beautiful and fearsome and fall down so much. Yes, they are glorious and fearsome and vulnerable. It's like a Pixar character. (laughs) They are. They are. So so what the challenge is, the, the robotics challenge is, is uh, it's a competition for teams from around the world to build these savvy, adaptable robots that are capable of helping with disaster relief related tasks. Mm-hmm. It was announced back in 2012 and has been since then going through various stages. First, a virtual challenge to guide a simulated robot through three tasks in a virtual environment and then physical trials and now the finals. Uh, there were prizes for the finals, uh, two million for the winner. Wow. Uh, one million for the first runner up. Yep. And five hundred thousand for the next Third runner place. up. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so we're talking some serious money and this is typical of DARPA with their challenges. And you could, you know, that does sound like it's a ton of money and it is. I mean, not to put, not to dismiss it. It is a lot of money, but it's, some of these teams are investing lots into building these robots. Oh yeah, way more than that much money. Yeah. So really, the the challenge is exactly what it sounds like. It is a challenge to engineers to develop machines capable of overcoming or, or performing some sort of task in uh, usually some trying circumstances. Yes. Right. Well, so, well because it, the whole thing was spurred by the the Fukushima disaster back in 2011. Yes. Afterwards, a lot of officials started realizing that you know there there are these situations in disaster relief which put human lives in danger, n- not just of the, of the victims of the disaster, of course, but the but the human responders. Workers, yeah. Right. Sure. And you know. We live in this incredible future and can make hardy robots that can go into places. Or if we don't quite live in that incredible future yet, DARPA was like, hey, maybe we should build that incredible future. Right. It sounds like a nice place to be. So when did they announce this? Specifically, uh, that was April first, twenty twelve, which seems like a really bad day to announce things, if you ask me. Yeah, just imagine if at the conclusion this past weekend, when 
the winning team steps forward and DARPA's like, here's your two million. Psych! April Fools three years later. That would be, that would be a great April Fools joke. A pretty epic April Fools joke. One that didn't I'm not sure that Korea has April Fools and so, spoiler alert, the Korean team won. So, I don't know that it would have gone over so well, but, uh, yeah, so, so the, the, this is exactly what you were saying, Lauren. It was an attempt to say, here are some, uh, situations that we might need to have a robot be able to respond to. Uh, here are the, the various scenarios that the robot would encounter. Your job is to go out and build a robot that can complete these tasks under this scenario. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least to build software for a pre-existing robot. Right. Yes. So you didn't have to go out and build a brand new robot from scratch. Mm-hmm. You could design the, the software, the brains, the programming that would allow the robot to complete the tasks. So as long as the robot's form factor already allowed it to do each of the tasks mm-hmm. that were assigned – then, you know, you didn't have to go out and build brand new hardware. Uh, yeah, yeah. N- nothing from, from scratch if you didn't want to. And in fact, a lot of the teams have used Boston Dynamics Atlas robot. Mm-hmm. Boston Dynamics, of course, being the uh, eccentric company. Uh, that, that builds, uh, they like kick big, robo dogs. Big dog and, and they, and they kick adorable robotic dogs yeah. that, oh, I just thought about that again and it, it still upsets me. That video left a lasting impression on me. I Ooh. know, I know the robot can't feel anything, right? I, I know, don't that. know that. <laughs> I don't know that. But it still is hard to watch. Um, for me. At any rate, so let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about the, the stages. You mentioned that the first one was a virtual challenge. What was that all about? Uh, yeah. So this virtual challenge took place back in June of 2013 and 26 teams built software to control a virtual Atlas robot through three disaster related tasks. Uh, getting into a vehicle, driving it and getting out. Uh, that, that's a single one. Yeah. Which, by the way, sounds really basic, but when you think about it, it's natural for us, but not natural for a robot. I've also, I can't do that all the time without, like, bumping my knees and falling down. Or I stand up before my head is clear of the car. Oh, yeah. man, like once a week, man. If you ever wonder why I'm a little bit fuzzy sometimes. <laughs> if you ever wonder why I'm bleeding from the scalp, because <laughs> I don't have hair, so it's just there, that's mm-hmm. that's why. All right, so, so that was the first task. Uh, then walking through an area of uneven ground that had mud and debris to contend with. Mm-hmm. Or the, the ground didn't have the mud and debris to contend <laughs> but with. The, the robots robot did. did. Yes. yes. Um, and then the third was attaching a hose to a spigot and turning the valve. All right. So these are things that it might have to do in a response situation. For example, putting out a fire in an area that had suffered earthquake damage or something sure, along those lines. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, to make it a a little bit more fun. The teams also had to deal with simulated communication lags and limits, like uh, like limits to the amount of data that they could transfer back and forth to the robot, and uh, a lag time of of maybe like 500 milliseconds or something like Which, that. Which again makes sense because in a a disaster environment, some of the infrastructure has probably suffered damage as well. Sure. So your ability to communicate could be limited. Uh huh. Um, in the end, they were judged on how well the simulated robots completed the simulated tasks mm-hmm. and how much control the operators commanded. And from that, uh, w- one team, uh, team IHMC, that's the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition out of Pensacola, Florida, uh, won. And they, along with eight other teams, qualified for the trials in December of 2013. 
All right. So that moves us on to those trials. Uh, yes. A couple of the pairs of teams that made it through merged. Uh, in, in the end, six teams went on to compete in the trials. That was at Homestead Miami Speedway mm-hmm. in Florida. Uh, on December 20th and 21st in 2013. And the robots were set eight tasks. They had to uh, ban a vehicle, and I wish that there was a better word for that. than I guess robot a vehicle. Robot a vehicle. Yeah, yeah that thing. Um, they had to navigate uneven terrain. They had to climb a ladder, uh, remove debris from a door, and then open the door. Uh, break through a wall like Kool-Aid Man. They did not, however, have to yell, Oh, yeah! I really hope that they all did, though. I do, too. Okay, and uh, handle some valves and, again, attach a hose to a spigot. Okay. So, uh, the winning team was called Shaft, S-C-H-A-F-T, which I love. Uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're out of Japan, and they had just been bought by Google prior to the trials. Now, wait a minute. I, I, uh, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but I don't remember seeing that team name when I was looking over the finals. Story about that okay. in just a moment. Yes, yes. Uh, so Shaft really just whooped Robo Butt in these trials. <laughs> okay. of, of 32 possible points, they earned 27, which was an entire seven more points than even their closest runner-up, uh, which was our friends IHMC Robotics. Okay. Uh, third place at nine points behind Shaft was a team called the Tartan Rescue out of Carnegie Mellon. Now, I've heard about that one. So what happened with the the... Google acquisition of this Japanese company? Uh, well, in June of 2014, Google announced that Shaft would be dropping out of the finals in order to pursue work on a commercial Google project. So, in other words, they said, you know, this, this research work is fantastic, it's great, but we need to dedicate these people to building something that's going to become a real-world product and not a, uh, a proof-of-concept kind of testing uh, out things in a scenario environment. And I suspect it also had something to do with Google's prior decisions to stay out of of military-related projects, Mm -hmm. which they have uh, not infrequently said, you know, like, thanks, guys, but no thanks. Right. We're doing good not funding military. Yeah, we've seen seen it go the other way, where people from projects that were part of the military ended up at Google later, Uh but that's different. Yes, absolutely. So they dropped out in June of 2014, and the finals took place this past weekend as of when we're recording this podcast on mm. June 5th and 6th. Yeah, over in California, uh, that they, they had a DARPA had, had a contest as well for high school students to create a video explaining what they how they felt robots fit into the future of culture society, how they were going to integrate and how they would be an important part of our lives and the winners got to go and and witness the finals. Oh cool. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh yeah there, there was a big audience there. There there have been at the past couple I, I don't I'm not sure if there was an audience for the virtual trials but but right. definitely for the 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 preliminary the the mm-hmm. physical trials. Yeah. Yeah. It, what's interesting also is that if you watch the videos from this, I mean, that crowd is not shy. Oh, they're psyched. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's like a sporting event. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It really is. And uh, spoiler alert, a lot of these robots fell down a lot. And hearing the crowd react to the robots falling is heartbreaking. It is. It is. They're, they're all so invested and yeah. they're not like laughing at the robots, no. which honestly I tend to do when I'm just sitting on my computer well, at well, home watching these you videos. You see like the animated GIFs and like the animated GIFs make it look hilarious. Like there's a robot that it takes a walk. It takes one step forward, immediately collapses. 
and and the the gift makes it hilarious. It does. But you know when In you a very Homer Simpson kind of way. Yeah, yeah. just like it's kind of like like. I mean, it's it's that ultimate in being taken down uh, a peg, right? Where you're right. like, we're ready to compete. One step falls apart. Like it's <laughs> it's like almost like a National Lampoon vacation kind of moment. Like uh-huh. the, you figured the Griswolds were the team behind it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but the but the audience who was there would would groan. Yeah. Uh, every every time a robot fell down, they yeah, were you would hear so people invested. shout out, "No!" Oh, no! Like because yeah. everyone wanted everything to to go yeah, well. I mean, yeah. obviously the the performance here meant pushing the field of robotics forward. So it was more than just cheering on your favorite. It was about cheering on the the advancement of robotics as a discipline. Yeah. And and these tasks were not easy tasks that were set to the robots. They no. were they were challenging. Yeah. They're, they Now, when we start saying them, they're going to sound easy because you're going to be thinking about it in the terms of a human being completing these tasks. And they are very simple. But keep in mind that all of these things are tasks that robots have to be engineered to do. And not only that, but the robot has to be engineered to do all of these tasks. The same robot. Yeah. yeah. And you think about most robots that you would see in your day-to-day life. Like if you have a Roomba, that Roomba is designed to clean a floor. It's mm-hmm. not designed to clean a floor plus do the dishes, plus watch fold laundry, or plus. watch your kids, or walk your dog, or whatever. It can't do those things, and you wouldn't expect it to. Yet, these are robots that have to complete these eight different tasks and have with one mi- robot to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and with minimal supervision from the, from the team. Right, yeah, because again, you, your communication is limited, and the idea was... Build a robot that can autonomously do as much of this as possible. Right. Not not expecting any robot to be like the Terminator <laughs> and not need any further direction. Right, right. Like go that way and save the people. Like there's no, <laughs> nothing like that. But limit. You know, the the more limited the the human interaction, the better. So task number one, drive. So so they, here's how this worked. Uh, they had to drive a Polaris Ranger XP900, which is essentially like a little, not quite an all-terrain vehicle, but similar. Yeah, okay, little SUV kind of thing. Yeah, not even an SUV, more like a little, uh, almost like, think of like a souped-up golf cart. Okay, sure. So a gotcha. little bit more advanced than a golf cart. Um, and the teams had five minutes to alter the vehicle without the use of tools so that their robots could operate it. Huh. So if the robot... Was had a form factor that did not easily fit into this. They could alter the vehicle, but they couldn't use tools to do it. So this made me think of like Cutthroat Kitchen. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm picturing robotics teams just like smashing their hands into panels right. to reform them or something. But you I'm, can alter this vehicle, but you can only use gummy worms. <laughs> yeah, uh, is a little bit of a of a fun twist on that. So. The way the challenge would start is the robots would already be behind the wheel. They did not have to get into the vehicle. Okay. They could be placed in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. The vehicle was already running and in high gear. They said that they chose high gear because it would move the most smoothly out of the gears. But the teams were welcome to design a robot that could shift gears if need be. Okay. But they didn't have to. Uh, so then the robot had to drive the vehicle from the starting position to a a uh, different position through a an obstacle course not really an obstacle course but a driving course uh if the robot was to uh collide with one of the barriers and move it then it would not be eligible for a point for oh, that wow. task hmm. and we should say these eight tasks represent eight points so teams were judged on two criteria 
the number of points that they were able to accumulate and the time it took their robot to complete the the series of tasks. Mm-hmm. So if you were able to do all eight and you had the lowest time, you win. Uh, so if you if you ran, ran to an obstacle, you got no point. You could also choose for your robot to walk from the starting point to the next task, but then you also... That's a time penalty, sure. Yeah, time penalty and you don't get a point. Oh, Because okay. the robot's not uh-huh. operating the vehicle. Uh-huh. Um, so really, the robot, bare minimum, had to be able to operate the accelerator and the steering wheel, although you would hope it could also operate the brake. Um, <laughs> Fingers crossed. Because yeah. otherwise, the robot would just be easing off the accelerator so that it would essentially coast, coast. into the uh-huh. the final position. And then it had to uh, to get completely past a cutoff point that said, you know, here, once the, the vehicle is past this point, you have completed the task. Okay. Uh, without going so far as to <laughs> smash into the next obstacle. <laughs> All right, so that's that was the first task. Second task was called egress, which I love. Yeah, it's that's terrific vocabulary. Yeah, it's 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 a little nicer than get out of the darn car. <laughs> so that's what be I would have called it. That's, yeah. yeah, it's the southern version, right? Yeah. So egress is essentially what I just said. The robot had to get itself out of the vehicle. It could exit out of either side. So it was not required to exit from one side versus the other. Uh, it had to be able to stand up or otherwise get into its, you know, mobile format because mm-hmm. you didn't have to have a bipedal robot. Most of the designs were, but you didn't have to design one that way. It's just that when you're talking about operating stuff that humans operate, bipedal, since that's how we are, that tends it's to be... Sort of the default. Yeah. yeah. So then it had to move itself to the next uh, task position. So the whole... Judging the whole thing is get, is allowing itself to get out and walk over to the next point. And that would be another... You would get a point for the egress part of the task okay. if you were able to do that. Or rather, if your robot were able to do that. Uh, after that was... Door. Okay, so here's one of those things that sounds incredibly simple. The robot had to open a door and walk through the doorway. That's it. That's the challenge. So, so drive a car is on equal playing field with open and walk through a walk door. through a door. Yeah. However, spoiler alert: this was one of the challenges that was the most difficult for the <laughs> robots. Uh, so it was a push door. Okay. And it was a, it was a central, a lever handle door, kind of like the one we have to the studio. Okay. Where you have to either push down or lift up on the levers and then push the door to open. Simultaneously push. Right. Okay. Uh, there was no threshold, so the robot didn't have to step over anything. That's very kind. Uh, still a lot of robots fell over in this point. Sure. And part of the reason why the robots were having so much trouble is that the door's width, when you include the door jam, was only 33 and a half inches, and some of these robots were wider than that. Oh. So they had to turn themselves. So they had to, like, pivot and while. And shimmy in. Yeah. Or they had to fold their limbs inward and then just kind of, you know, wiggle <laughs> on through. I've got all these great images of robots attempting to get through a doorway. So, yeah, and th- that's the thing is that, uh, in fact, it prompted one guy in the audience to say, when the robot uprising inevitably happens, just close your door, and you'll Aww. probably be safe. <laughs> If, if you have a door and you're at the top of a set of stairs, you're doubly safe. Uh, so next was Valve, which is where a robot had to buy a game on Steam. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, preferably something like, uh, the, well, there's the new Fallout, so pre-ordering Fallout. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, no, no, it's, 
it was actually physical Valve. It was not not the not the game company Valve. It was a terrible joke. That's <laughs> that I wrote in our notes. It's actually in there. I was willing to go with it. You yeah. know, I think that I think that uh, navigating complex internet software is really part of yeah. the future of robots. Yeah, you know, <laughs> where, where your robot can just sit at home and buy all those games for you. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not going to play them anyway. You're just buying them because they're on sale, right? I really hate putting my credit card information into anything. Yeah. So this is going to be valuable. So you just do it once with the robot, and then you're done. Maybe less with uh, m- maybe less with disaster situations. Right. I don't think that I would. So in this case, anyway, in this sorry. case, they were uh, operating an actual valve. Yes. Uh, it was a circular handle. They had to turn it in a counterclockwise direction, at least 360 degrees. That would be considering opening the valve. Uh, so this was another one that was a little tough, was you know ha- designing a robot that can grip a circular valve and then turn it in this way. Uh, also, the teams only knew that the valve's size would be somewhere between 4 and 16 inches in diameter. Ooh, so that's, they a, that's plan. a bit of a gap. Yeah. yeah. They couldn't just plan in advance, like, all right, well, we'll just design the robot so that its hands are at, you know. Are precisely, yeah, yeah. molded to this particular valve. Right. right. Like, let's just assume it's 12 inches. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case. The next step was probably my favorite out of all of them. Uh, oh, this was, is this is the, the Kool-Aid Man challenge. Yeah, wall. This was wall. But it wasn't just breaking through a wall, which is the way it was always described to me when I heard about this. Well it's it's really cutting through a wall. Yeah. And and that's and I and I said breaking through in the in the previous trial yeah. challenge, but but it it's really cutting through a wall. Yeah, using a, a drill actually, and the wall was drywall, it was half inch thick drywall. Mm-hmm. And there was a shape that uh, you your robot had to cut the shape out of the oh, wall. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, I think it was like a giant circle. At least the one I saw was a giant circle. Where the idea was that the robot had to go pick up a drill. Uh, the drill was in off position, so it had to squeeze the trigger to, to have it go to on. Turn it on, yeah. Yeah, and then insert the drill uh, to in inside the the line of the shape. Trace around that line wow. on the inside huh. uh-huh. and remove the rubble. The idea being that there might be a time where a robot would have to, have to respond to an emergency, get access to controls, but the entrance to the control room is otherwise blocked. Mm-hmm. So this would be a way of getting access to stuff without being without having to go through the doorway. Sure. Uh, so it's kind of a cool thing. And the, the pictures and video from this section are really interesting. One robot got a little overexcited, dropped the drill, then immediately turned around and walked to the next task. <laughs> <laughs> like gave up. <laughs> like, there, were, there were two drills, by the way. So if you dropped one, you could pick up the other one. Uh, you being the robot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was my favorite. Uh, the next one was just called Surprise, and this was one of those things. DARPA, like DARPA, told all the teams there will be a challenge that your robot will have to do. But we're not going to tell you what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and if we didn't mention it earlier, the teams had all of these tasks and specifications for all of these tasks, like rough specifications, way in advance. Yeah. Like at least a year in advance. Yeah, they had to know what the robot was going to have to be capable of doing in order to engineer the robot sure. properly. Of course, of course. Uh, so surprise. What what wound up being our surprise? Well, at least on one day. And I have to look into it to find out if it was the same for both because they said that they had the option of changing out the surprise task uh, each day. Okay. So that way no team To make would it have more it. fair for yeah. the... So the teams that go on day two don't have an advantage over the ones that sure. have day one. Mm-hmm. But uh, at least on one day, it was to pick up a plug and plug it into an electric outlet, huh. uh, which apparently one robot tried like for 14 minutes and then just gave up. Again, I just... Have you ever seen the video of the one little robot arm that picks up 
like uh, I think it's like a, supposed to be a little piece of food, and it's supposed to put it <laughs> at the mannequin's mouth, but it just starts slamming the <laughs> yes. fist into the mannequin's head. That's what I imagine. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so some of the robots had trouble with this task of plugging. Uh, and honestly, I've had issues where I have been unable to plug like my computer into an outlet. So oh, sure. I can't yeah. blame the robots. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, then we've got we've got two more left. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we've we've got we've got rubble. Yes, this was just traversing debris or a terrain field. Uh, some people said it either involved walking on top of the debris or walking through the debris. But uh, the again. You know, I, whichever works for you, I suppose. But, yeah. Yeah. And considering the, the scenario's um, uh, inspiration, the Fukushima event, then having rubble to get through is, is a realistic possibility. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So some of these robots just uh, would walk over them. Like the Boston Dynamics approach is to maintain balance while walking over uncertain terrain. Some of them were designed so that they could go onto four limbs and they had like treads on four limbs oh, and could yeah. roll over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the Carnegie Mellon one had that and uh, the, the, um, Treadmills, the the treads rather, were essentially on the shins and forearms of this robot. So not on the hands and feet. Mm -hmm. So it would get down on its shins and its forearms and and roll across. Uh, So that was kind of cool. It's fascinating. The last one was a set of stairs that had a rail on the left side, no rail on the right. And as we all know from Doctor Who, not that the Daleks are robots, (laughs) but... They have robotic elements. Yeah, and robots hate stairs. Robots hate stairs. Yeah, you might have heard about Asimo, uh, which is capable of walking up and down stairs, but only if you program exactly how many stairs are in the sequence and how high they are. Hmm. It, it is not good at just – you can't just put it in front of any staircase. And, and be like, it. go, sucker. Yeah, and be like, I'll see you on the top. And it doesn't <laughs> happen that way. So stairs are tricky. Uh, and so you know you hear a lot of crowds. Like if you watch the last few minutes of any of these runs where the robots are climbing the stairs, you hear the crowd going nuts as the robot very slowly <laughs> and carefully – traverses the stairs like uh, like there's a four minute video of the of the winning team mm-hmm. of just slowly going I mean, four minute might be a little much but it, it's you seeing it slowly going up each step and every and the crowd's just going nuts the entire time <laughs> uh and then of course because this is a darpa challenge there was a twist yeah it's like a m night Shyamalan. yeah movie. yeah you know you gotta gotta keep those robots on their proverbial or literal toes yes as the case may be uh so this year each of the eight challenges had been practiced with a time limit of 30 minutes per challenge. Mm-hmm. But on the day of the competition, the robots were given an hour to complete all eight. That's incredible. Together. So, huh. I, that like gets my blood pressure going, like just thinking about what those robotics teams on site must have been feeling. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you thought you were going to have four hours and you have one hour. <laughs> That's a big change. Ooh. So let's talk about the, the folks who actually won. Uh, so like I said, the, the first place team came from um, Korea, South Korea specifically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was team K-A-I-S-T. Kaist. Kaist. And uh, they had DRC Hubo as their robot. Uh, the winning time was, remember, they had one hour to complete all these. 44 minutes, 28 seconds. They did complete Ooh. all eight tasks. Yeah. So uh, f- more than 15 minutes to spare. And like I said, I was watching the the this one, and the crowd went totally bonkers. To keep in mind now, they were not on the first day's events. 
So at the end of the first day, there was a different team that was in the lead. Ooh. So this was one of those things oh, where wow. you see the team upset. winning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also a preparation video for this particular robot that was hilarious. Did you see this? No, no, I didn't watch it. Uh, it's like watching one of the movies from Ro- the Rocky franchise because <laughs> the robot is like in a training montage. <laughs> Uh, so it's showing the team working on various things for the robot to do, like the kind of precise movements it needs to do to do things like turn valves, to plug a hose into a, a valve, that kind of stuff. And it also showed the robot doing push-ups. Uh, it showed the robot doing a fighting pose. Oh, that's um, adorable. Yeah. That's One of those so things fun. where you're like, like, okay, this is, this is cute. Uh, also doing stuff like climbing a ladder. It climbed the ladder backwards. Like, huh. like the sure. the part of the torso you would identify as the front. Keep in mind that robots don't necessarily have a front and back. They uh-huh. can be. They it's can, it's can only it's only way. what you have told it yeah. that thing is. Otherwise, but, but it's all it would, the same to them. It looks like it's backing up, and it's the way its arms bend. It looks like it's backwards because elbows are sure. going up, and uh-huh. it's lifting itself up backwards up a ladder. I uh, suppose it, I suppose that that balance wise, that makes way more sense. We should all be going up ladders backwards, yeah. really, when you think about it. Now, and this ladder, I should say, is more like a step ladder than a not a ladder ladder, not, not a rung yeah, ladder. Yeah, yeah, more like a step ladder. So it had a little rail and everything, mm-hmm. uh, so the robot could hold on to the sides. So uh, they won first. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Second place was our friends' team, IHMC, out of Pensacola. Yeah, they were using an altered Boston Dynamics Atlas bot called Running Man. Yeah. And uh, upon completing the course, it, it struck this amazing victory pose at the top of the stairs and then promptly fell right over. Yes. Like, aw. But it, aw, also, running man. it also completed all eight tasks uh, and did so in 50 minutes, 26 seconds. So it was just about six minutes slower Oof. than the other one. Tight and competition. Third place was Carnegie Mellon's team, Tartan Rescue, and its robot, Chimp. Mm-hmm. So Chimp uh, is a robot that has really long arms. Oh, that one. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's also the one that had the uh, treads on its forearms and shins. Okay. Now, Chimp uh, was able to complete all eight tasks in 55 minutes, 15 seconds. Chimp was the leading contender at the end of day one. Oh. Uh-huh. Chimp also had fallen over and was the only robot to fall over and right itself. Wow. All the other robots had to have the teams come over and look at the robot and try and get it back up on its feet <laughs> yeah it's 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 leg appendages it's pods yeah so yes. uh but but uh you know chimp was it, it eschewed all help <laughs> and got up on its own and i watched video of this and this is freaky to watch the video because it's essentially twisting its legs and uh, in ways that an organic life form can't. Leg, legs do not twist and yeah. using those treads to help get uh-huh. it back up to a, a oh, four-limb cool. base yeah yeah Oh, that's, that's fascinating. That's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. That that one, um, that that one kind of creeped me out. It it's a it's a little bit creepy looking. I think it just reminded me of like maybe like the wheelies from yeah. Return to Oz or yeah. something. Yeah, I don't know. I can see that. So those three teams were also the only three to complete all eight tests. Oh wow! None of the other teams managed to do that. Four teams completed seven. Uh, one team completed six tasks. Two teams completed five tasks. Two teams completed four tasks. Four teams completed three tasks. Two completed two. One completed one. And then four teams didn't complete any Aww. successfully. Yeah. Well, but they tried. It, it shows how, like, even even as we said, these challenges, like, you, you climb a set of stairs. And for most people, that's not a big issue. You open a door. Mm-hmm. For most people, not a big issue. 
Um, the walking across debris could be a little tricky depending upon the type of debris. Sure. Uh, but a lot of these are tasks that most people would find incredibly simple. But it demonstrates how these simple tasks are really tough engineering challenges. Mm-hmm. Like when you figure that only three teams were able to successfully complete all eight and only just under an hour. Yeah, yeah. Right? And these are, yeah, ostensibly some of the some of the best teams in the world yeah. working in robotics right now. Incredibly uh, talented, intelligent, and and motivated people. So uh, the the cool thing is that it shows us that while these tasks have been really difficult, they are ones that can actually be achieved uh, through robotics, and um, it's it's pretty pretty cool stuff. The whole point was to show that robotics could be pushed to complete these specific tasks and it was taking them out of the lab like that's one of the big one of the big uh, criticisms about technology in general is that we often see it in the R&D phase in the laboratory where it's a very controlled environment uh-huh. and in that controlled environment of course you would expect success rates to be much higher mm-hmm. Because you have control over everything, mm-hmm. but uh, but most robots are not going to be in laboratories if they're ever going to be useful. Yeah, so. yeah. If we're, if we're talking about a, res- a first responder robot, it has to be able to adapt and respond to real world situations. And this is what that challenge was really about: was how well could you design a robot that could, uh, you know, you know ahead of time what it's going to have to do, and to some extent, that's going to be the truth for at least the foreseeable future where uh-huh. robots robots are going to be designed to do specific things and anything outside of that they may or may not be able to do based upon the the stuff you've programmed into that robot but you know it, it all depends upon the design and programming of the robot with foresight thinking these are the things this robot is typically going to encounter so here's how the robot needs to be able to respond and anything that goes outside of that is really hard to design in a robot right now. Yeah, yeah, it's that old old problem of how do you tell a how do you tell a machine to specifically do something when you don't know what that thing is? Yeah. And so the special, you know, surprise was an, an example of that. It was it was a a variation on something that the robots were already doing. So it wasn't like it was completely out of left field. It wasn't like uh, you know, um You've you've got to cook an omelet. No, it wasn't something like that. You know, it, was, it wasn't like play parcheesi. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Go buy games on Steam. It wasn't anything <laughs> like that. So uh, you know, but even then, you see that some robots had real problems with that. Uh, but this does mean that we are pushing the field of robotics further uh, as a result. And I think that by identifying specific challenges, it gives engineers the focus they need to be able to design the systems that are capable of meeting those challenges, right? So instead of just having a uh, wide-open field where you say, there's going to be an emergency situation, design a robot to respond to it. Without any more direction, that's hard to do. So the other point being that um, that this also helped advance the the idea of how much communication do humans need to be able to uh, have with a robot for it to be able to complete these challenges. Sure. So a lot of these challenges, the DARPA was saying, well, we expect that some of the robots at least will be able to respond to a, a fairly simple command and carry it out. Like, go from this point to that point. Don't fall over. <laughs> Not all the robots were able to do that, obviously. Oh, right, right. But the DARPA also, the organization, 
was saying, we don't expect any robot to be able to go from start to finish with no human contact contact at sure. all because to complete a single task is one thing, but to chain them together in a logical formation is another. So you wouldn't tell the robot, hey, I need you to drive to this point, get out of the vehicle, walk up to this door, open it, go through the door. You're going to see a wall with a shape on it. Cut the shape out of the wall, remove the rubble. Then you're going to have something. We don't know what it is. <laughs> then you're going to have to <laughs> like yeah, that's not yeah, gonna you can't yeah, you can't just tell a robot that. It's much easier for right to to be able to put that that input in every once in right, a while yeah. to go like, oh, here's the part where there's stairs. Yeah, exactly. This is the stairs part. Because uh, otherwise it's trying to climb the vehicle and it's right. just not, you know. Yeah, it's identified, you know, little Timmy as the first step and that's not going to go well. No. Uh, at least not for Timmy. So the the comparison I wanted to draw here was one of the earlier DARPA challenges, the Grand Challenge. So with the Grand Challenge, we saw all these teams trying to build autonomous cars that could go through various obstacle courses. The first one was a desert course. Then they had a simulated urban environment complete with, you know, traffic and other things. Pedestrians, that, yep, yeah. That the cars had to contend with. And we saw... Simulated pedestrians. Yes. Yes. We saw... Well, no, let me, no little Timmy. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> We're going to need another Timmy. <laughs> oh, I think that was from Dinosaurs, the television series. Um, but the uh, the... The the takeaway I wanted to give was that while that wasn't intended to make autonomous cars a reality the very next day, what it did was it pushed the discipline forward, literally pushed it forward, and we saw lots of people from the various winning teams go into other organizations, including Google, to develop the autonomous cars that are on the brink of coming out on the consumer market now. Yeah, like, yeah. Within the next few years, we, we will probably see the first steps, and they'll probably be limited at first, but it's because of that grand challenge that we're as far along as we are right oh, now. Oh, sure, yeah. And all of these challenges, of course, also just raise public interest and excitement mm -hmm. in the fields. And, you know, watching video of, of families that were out mm -hmm. watching the finals was so amazing, like getting to watch the, the looks on kids' faces and, and, yeah, and hearing the cheers and the, and the gasps from the crowd whenever the robots were doing anything. It, it really does seem to serve as an inspiration for people to get into the STEM part of education, right? Mm -hmm. To look into science, technology, engineering, and, and, uh, uh, mathematics. Math. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what's that fourth one? Uh, <laughs> that, that one that we're all terrible at yeah, here well, in this podcast again, room. English lit major. If you listen to that <laughs> other episode where I suddenly reverted to my primal self. Uh, yeah, this, this is one of those things where you really, you, you've got to admire it for multiple reasons. Um, the idea of, we're trying to solve a real world problem. What happens in the face of an event like Fukushima? How can we design something that could potentially save countless lives? Also, how can we inspire the next generation of engineers the, to to want to get into that, to do yeah, that? Yeah. And to go beyond what mm -hmm. we've even envisioned so far. So it's really been great to look into this. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do an episode about it. And talk about uh, all the the fun and foibles of robots. Yes, um, whether they're upright or falling over, <laughs> uh, it, it was really a lot of fun to talk about this. 
So if you guys have suggestions for future topics that we can cover here on Forward Thinking, please write in and let us know. We love hearing from you. You guys have been sending us some great ones, and we'll be doing another uh, listener mail episode before too long because we we accumulate those, and some of them some of them are short enough where we can do a couple in a, yeah, in a single episode. Absolutely. And then some of you guys have really complicated questions that you want answered, and we're going to tackle those as well. But if you have one you haven't voiced it yet, send us an email fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Twitter, Google Plus, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are fwthinking. At Facebook, just search fwthinking in the search bar. We'll pop right up and leave us a message. We'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.